Alright, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA Podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host. Thank you all very much for being here, for tuning in. Uh, please interact with the product. Like, comment, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a stranger, tell an enemy. I don't care. Uh, again, that helps us all with the almighty algorithm. So, please, if you would. I deeply appreciate it. I appreciate you just listening. I mean, <laughs> Lord knows you don't have to, so thank you. Uh, but if you could help us out a little bit with that, I even more appreciated. Try not to grade my appreciation, but eh, I'm going to for the sake of that. All right, on the agenda this evening, we have UFC on ESPN Plus 42 slash UFC Vegas 18. Uh, that came our way last night, as I record this. Uh, you know, solid card. Uh, in places, pretty darn good. A preview of UFC 258, which will be coming our way this coming Saturday. And, well, uh, not a lot of news again. The UFC did some roster cuts. I think that's kind of the big thing. Uh, yeah, I think... Again, that's kind of the big one. We'll see what else kind of kicks loose as we're in the midst of <laughs> uh, going through the podcast here. But that's kind of where we are at the moment. So I'm flying solo, so let us jump right in to our first point of discussion. UFC on ESPN plus 42. Main event. Alexander Volkov defeated Alistair Overeem via TKO, mostly punches, 206 of the second. Uh this was a really, really good performance from Volkov. Might be his best in the UFC. Uh, it's this or his win over Fabricio Verdum. Both of those just top-notch performances. He looked great here. He had to eat a couple of punches from Overeem along the way, but just sharp, crisp, straight punches. Had a good jab, and since they were always opposite stance... Uh, it's not an easy thing to do. The jab is a different kind of weapon when you're opposite stances. But he had a good jab. He busted up over him in the first, second, kept on the pressure, was able to kind of find the little holes in Overeem's uh, you know, high. He's got that really high kind of cover-up defense. And some of those smaller gloves can just slip around some of the corners. And that he, in the second, he clipped him with a left hook. Overeem staggered forward onto his hands and knees. The referee waved it off. The good stoppage. Uh, sucks for Overeem, man. He was trying to make one more run towards the title. And this doesn't completely eliminate that possibility. But uh, it's, it's now a really, really hard thing for him to potentially pull off if he's going to. Uh, as for Volkov... Um... You know, of his losses in the UFC, there are two. Only, I hate to say one of them is illegitimate, but hear me out here, because it, it was a perfectly valid knockout loss he suffered to Derek Lewis. The caveat there is he beat the crap out of Derek Lewis for 14 of the 15 minutes. Then in the last 50 seconds or so of the fight... Uh, Lewis gets a little bit aggressive and wild and desperate, and Volkov stops fighting the way he'd been fighting, gets clipped, and gets finished. Uh, but I, point being there, 
if you have that rematch, is there really a whole lot of doubt about Volkov winning? Again, Lewis, I, I'm not trying to bury the guy. That's a rough matchup for him if Volkov doesn't just decide to try and imitate Stefan Struve in the final 30 seconds or so of that fight. Uh, I mean, there was a, I think there were two 10-8 rounds for Volkov in that one. At least one of them was. Then he has the loss to Curtis Blades, and that's a bit trickier. You see, Blades is a tough matchup for him. I mean, Blades has lost, Blades has beaten everybody he's faced except Francis Ngannou. Uh, that's, that's a tough stylistic matchup. Not unwinnable, but very tough. So, but apart from that, you know, he beat Timothy Johnson, beat Roy Nelson, knocked out Struve, knocked out Verdum, beat the crap out of Derek Lewis before getting finished late and kind of a, again, not fluke knockout, but, uh, Again, fluke is like, who in the world could have predicted that? But just, again, an unlikely outcome. Beat Greg Hardy, lost to Blades, then finished in back-to-back -back fights, Walt Harris and Alistair over him. Uh, dude's in the title picture. Now, where exactly that's... That's hard to parse. We know Stipe and Ngannou are scheduled to have their rematch. You've got John Jones coming into the division, and John is almost certainly someone they could put immediately into the title picture, kind of depending on who wins. I think if Ngannou wins, they'll give Jones the immediate shot. Because Ngannou has knocked Curtis Blades out twice. And that just sucks for Curtis Blades. Uh, and I hate to say it that bluntly, but it does. If Stipe wins, Curtis has a better claim towards a title shot, but they, would, they could very easily still parachute John over him into the title picture because John is a significantly bigger attraction, especially on pay-per-view than Curtis Blades is. Again, not trying to knock Curtis Blades. That's just reality as it currently stands. But Volkov, he could fight the loser of Stipe and Ganu too. Uh, you could rematch Derek Lewis. Lewis has another fight coming up, though. I forget against who. But, yeah, give him the loser of that title fight. And if he wins that, give him a shot. I mean, there's not a whole lot else you can do. Uh, Volkov's a tough customer to figure out, man. He's tall. He's long. He knows how to fight tall and long. He knows how to fight in close if he needs to. Good kicks, good power. Not impossible to take down, but hard to take down. Surprisingly uh, adept bottom game. I mean, uh, Blades held him down for long periods of time, but was not able to significantly, uh, was not able to deal a significant amount of damage. Some of the other guys Blades has fought, uh, he's dealt out some significant damage. He wasn't able to do so against Volkov. Um, oh, yeah, it's Lewis. Right? Lewis and Blades are going to be fighting, I'm pretty sure. Uh, so yeah, that, uh, that'll be an interesting one. Again, the top of heavyweight's just a little bit wonky right now between... Uh, Stipe Ngannou 2, some of the holdups that have happened around the top of the division with Stipe, you know, having more important duties to perform than fighting as the UFC heavyweight champion. The man is a firefighter, paramedic, and, you know, when the pandemic hit, that took precedent for good reason. Uh, and, you know, factor in John coming up to heavyweight, it's just really, really unclear at the moment.
But Volkov is certainly a player in the title picture. That That is undeniable at this point. I don't know what to do with Overeem. Um, again, that really sucks for him. But if he wants to keep fighting, I, I'd kind of rather he hang him up. It would suck to go out this way, but he's 41, 42? How old is he? He's 40. He'll be 41 in May. So not all that long from now, actually. Uh, it's just tough, man. He's got a lot of years. He's got a lot of fights across both MMA and his kickboxing career. That adds up. It just does. So, again, if he wants to continue, I wouldn't be opposed to him getting, you know, another fight or two in the UFC to kind of see where things shake out, but wouldn't be shot. He's not cheap either. He's... They disclose his... Uh, I forget how much Alistair Overeem makes a fight. He might be like the 500,000 club, something like that. Uh, again, not a cheap fighter. The UFC might wind up cutting him and let him, you know, kind of see out his career... Uh, in another promotion. Uh, again, sucks for Overeem, but we'll see if he wants, if the UFC wants to keep him around, uh, and if he wants to try and continue this run and maybe try to. It's just a really hard thing, man. He already lost to Stipe. He's lost to Curtis Blades. Now he's lost to Volkov. It's just a. For as quick as you can get to the title level at heavyweight, when you've been around for a while, heavyweight's weird. The longer you are at heavyweight, the harder it becomes to kind of break out of your spot. And right now, Overeem's spot is just a little below the title level. I mean, you could do a rematch with Overeem and Jarzinho Rosenstreich, but I mean, I wouldn't hate that, to be quite candid. But again, tough. Not a whole lot else to say there. Co-main event. Good grief. Corey Sandhagen knocks out Frankie Edgar with a flying knee in 28 seconds. I don't even really know what to say about this one. Um, I, I, I'm pretty sure I picked Corey. I said I'd be, I said I'd feel better picking him over th five rounds instead of just three, uh, for a variety of reasons. Some of which are still very valid observations, just didn't necessarily manifest in this particular fight. Sandhagen just kind of drew Edgar forward, left to right, and just timed a beautiful jumping knee to the face. Uh, this was probably the closest we'll ever get to, li to uh, a live-action version of that uh, the, the, like anime shot, where... You know, the two guys charge at each other, and then they get past each other, and they're both just holding their stances, and then one of them falls over after a second or two. Uh, Sandhagen hits this knee, lands you know, further away from Edgar. Edgar is, I mean, he's out, but he stays kind of upright for a half a second and then starts pitching forward, and Sandhagen, looking over his shoulder, sees that and just kind of keeps walking. A, a absolutely cold walk-off knockout. Uh, I mean, look, Frankie Edgar's lost before. Frankie Edgar's been knocked out before. Not like this, man. This, you know, even, you know, uh, the Korean zombie who stopped him in the first, or Brian Ortega, both of them stopped him in the first with strikes. It took him some time, you know? I mean, 
Ortega hurt him with the elbow, and then it took him a bit to kind of finish him from there. Or a Zombie just beat the crap out of him for almost that entire first round before forcing the issue. To just one and done. Oof. I mean, it's just a thing of beauty. Uh, Corey Sandhagen's only loss in the UFC to Aljamain Sterling. He wants that rematch. He wants the belt next. I give it to him. Give him that title shot next. I know TJ Dillashaw is off suspension now officially, I believe, and coming back. <sighs> Under slightly different circumstances, I could see them uh, kind trying to, you know, give TJ an immediate shot back at the belt. Uh, I don't want it. I don't want it here. You've got a clear-cut, unquestioned number one contender in Corey Sandhagen. I don't even care if Sterling beats Jan. I want the rematch. Like, his last two fights, he wheel-kick KO'd Marlon Marais in the second round. And here, in less than 30 seconds, flying knee to knock out Frankie Edgar. You can't really do a whole lot more than that. <sighs> Give him the title shot. I... Look, TJ Dillashaw did it to himself, what happened with him losing the belt the way he did. That's... That's 100% on him. Uh, under different circumstances, I might be more sympathetic to him crawling for an immediate uh, for him an immediate title shot. Under these circumstances, the timeout, the fact that you did it to yourself, the fact that we have a clear, thriving—I uh, mean, there's kind of a, you might try to make an analog to John Jones getting a shot, you know, coming back off of one of his suspensions or any of his myriad issues. The, the biggest difference is the state of the division. Light heavyweight, not a great division. Uh, certainly not in, you know, when John was kind of coming back from some of his uh, problems or being stripped or you know any of it. Again, not a great division. Bantamweight, maybe the best division in the UFC. It's hard to say between that and lightweight. But somebody put out a question on Twitter. I forget who, so I apologize. I, but it was... Which of these top three is better? You have the lightweight top three, which is like Dustin, Gagey, and Charles Oliveira, if we exclude Khabib. Featherweight, which is Volkanovski, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega. Or bantamweight, Peter Yan, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sandhagen. I mean... Not to knock featherweight, but I think that's pretty clearly... I shouldn't say pretty clearly. I think that's the lowest of those three. That said, the top three of featherweight is better than I would... Ha Off the top of my head, it's better than every other division apart from those two. Uh, maybe welterweight might... That might be an argument for welterweight, but point being... Bantamweight's great. It's in a very healthy place. We have a clear-cut number one contender you would be screwing over for no reason other than some affection for TJ Dillashaw. Um, look, give, give him a fight. Give Dillashaw a high-profile fight back. Make it a title eliminator. And if he wins that fight, give him another... I'm not opposed to him getting a quick shot at the belt. If he comes back and he looks great... And, you know, he starches some top bantamweight contender. Uh, jeez. 
bring up the rankings here. Who would who would I like to see TJ fight as he returns, actually, now that I think about it? Because um, if I want Sandhagen to fight for the belt next, you have Jan and Sterling. Because <sighs> Frankie lost, so he's going to drop. Okay. Uh, you got Rob Font currently sitting at number five. Cody, why is Garbrandt ranked third? He was talking about dropping to flyweight, and he's been inactive forever. And I, for the record, I don't need to see a trilogy fight between uh, Dillashaw and Garbrandt. Um, you could do Dillashaw and Rob Font. I mean, Rob Font, not a sexy name, but that man's no joke. You got Jose Aldo hanging out at six. Uh, I mean, who wouldn't be interested in Dillashaw and Aldo? Uh, I, I think those are kind of your your clubhouse leaders. And again, these rankings have not been updated, so Edgar's going to drop. So Font will probably be number four. Personally, I discard... I would remove Garbrandt from the top five. I mean, I know he had that really nice knockout of Austin Sal, but he's been out for a while. Uh, he, he's been out for a while, which is always a problem for me. And... His last fight was talking about uh, he was trying to fight at flyweight, which I don't object to if he wants if he can do that safely and he wants to try it out. I mean, I'm, that's just if, that's the kind of move that I think kind of suspends your top title challenger you know, ranking eligibility. Just my opinion. So I you do it, yeah. I do Dillashawn Font. Make it a fight night main event. You got the return of the former champion against the rising contender. Winner, uh, winner has next after Garbrandt fights the fights Sterling Yon winner, right? And you can probably time that out so nobody's out of action for too long. But yeah, that so that's what I that's what I want to see from Dillashaw. I don't think you should give him an immediate shot at the belt after not with not with the division as good as it is, and not with the circum. If the guy had been injured. Again, I'm more sympathetic to that, but even then, you know, Dominic Cruz came back from his long injury and had to fight Takeya Mizugaki. Uh, so I, I still think you give him. I mean, again, maybe you don't want, maybe you want to give him a slightly softer touch than Font, so you go a little further down. Uh, you know, you got both Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Not that those guys are soft touches. I really don't mean to imply that. Just kind of relative to a top five guy in Rob Font. Versus someone on the lower end of the top 10 in Rivera and Austin Sal. Uh, so it's, it's just minor degrees of gradation there. But I, I don't think, yeah, you know, I give Sandhagen the next shot. Uh, not a whole lot of controversy there. As for Edgar, uh, I, I hate to phrase it this way. But Frankie Edgar's 39. Somewhat fresh 39. His birthday's in October. Um, but he's 39 and smaller weight classes that reward uh, youth in ways that some of the heavier weight classes not, don't necessarily. Frankie has the most total cage time of anyone in UFC history. That's a lot of miles, and he's been in the UFC since, what, 2007? Yeah, when he upset Tyson Griffin uh, at UFC 67. Uh, so, 2007. 
So this was, so that was February 3rd. So he just recently had his anniversary there. Jeez, how many years would that be? Of 10 to 2017. What? Uh, 14 years? Yeah, 14 years. Good grief. 14 years in the UFC, a bunch of that at the title level. I mean, he first fought for the belt against BJ in 2010. That went five. His rematch with Penn went five. His first his first title fight with Maynard went five. His rematch with Maynard went into the fourth. Both of his fights with Benson Henderson went five. The Aldo fight went five when he dropped to featherweight. Uh, I mean, he's just been fighting. I mean, and all credit to the man. There's not really a soft touch in his... In Let me read his UFC resume, just kind of from start to finish here. Uh, bear in mind, he also has a win over Jim Miller outside the UFC. But Tyson Griffin, Mark Bocek, Spencer Fisher, Gray Maynard, Hermes Franca, Sean Shirk... Matt Veach is probably the softest touch this guy's ever had. And that's not soft. BJ Penn twice, Gray Maynard two more times, Benson Henderson twice, Jose Aldo, Charles Oliveira, BJ Penn a third time. Cub Swanson, Uriah Faber, Chad Mendez, Aldo a third, Aldo a second time, Jeremy Stevens, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, Cub Swanson, Max Holloway, Chan Sung Jung, Pedro Munoz, and Corey Sandhagen. Find me a, like I said, the closest thing you get to a quote-unquote soft touch there is Matt Veach. Not a lot of guys remember Matt Veach, but... Uh, he did all again. He did all right in the UFC. He retired uh, back in 2016 with a professional record of 17 and five. Went one and two in the UFC uh, before fight. I mean, Frankie was his first professional loss. He TKO'd Matt Grice in the UFC before that. Uh, so not a soft touch when you. I mean, he was 11 and 0 going into that Edgar fight. So. Again, I defy you to find an easy, quote-unquote, fight in Edgar's entire UFC run. And again, if you get outside the UFC, coming into the UFC, he had wins over both Jim Miller and Davidus uh, Torosavisius, which may not be a name that a lot of you guys remember, but Lord help me, I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, just not, a, not an easy fight in that entire freaking... 14 years in the UFC. I mean, <laughs> you know, what do you want to say, man? The end is nigh for him. Man. It just, it just is. That's rough. And I hate to, you know, you kind of hate to say it, but, uh, you know, at 39, it just kind of is. I mean, I don't know that he'll see it that way. I'm, I just, you know, for me, I'm not saying the guy should retire. I, I don't have the medical expertise. I don't know the man. But uh, just as a fan, I, I don't want to see him fight too many more times. And that sucks to say because Frankie has put on some of the, I mean, think about that list I just read off. How many of those fights are great fights? I mean, not all of them, but the majority of those are they were great fights. Some all-time great fights. The man's a first ballot Hall of Famer. But 
the end comes for everybody in this game as far as that goes. And I, at, at a bare minimum, I think he should have a plan in place to be done sooner rather than later. Sorry to end discussion of that on a downer, but let's move on. Uh, Clay Guida defeated Michael Johnson via unanimous decision, 30-27. I thought Johnson had the second. I was a little surprised by 30-27 across the board. But I don't really have any issues with Guida winning the first and third. This was, in some respects, the worst Michael Johnson has looked in a while. Uh, I mean, Clay Guida's the same guy he was when he... I mean, jeez. Talking about Edgar and having a long tenure. Guida... Uh, he debuted for the UFC in 2007 as well, January. So he's, uh, 2006, excuse me, October of 2006. So yeah, he's a little over the 14-year mark as well. And he's basically the same guy now as he was, you know, uh, kind of when he debuted. Same style, same, and you know, that's in some respects uh, commendable. I mean, uh, the man's fighting style is labor-intensive, and he can still do it at... He's what? How old is he? He's 39 as well. Uh, yeah, that, again, there's something commendable about that, but, uh... Yeah. Uh, also, it's, again, it's kind of an indictment of anybody losing to him at this point. You know, he's not had a good record recently. I mean, he was one and four in his last, excuse me, one and three in his last four. The only win was over BJ Penn. And he, lost, he got choked out by both Charles Oliveira and Jim Miller and then beat up by Bobby Green. You know, if you're losing to this guy at this point, uh, you've got some serious questions to ask yourself. And I think that's where Michael Johnson is. Johnson now on a four-fight losing streak. I mean, Michael Johnson is such a weird guy to try and... You look at his career... Think about this for just a second. The man has wins over Edson Barboza, Tony Ferguson, and Charles Oliveira. Let me double-check the Oliveira thing. Uh, sorry, not Oliveira. Um, Dustin Poirier. And he stopped Poirier. <laughs> Those are quality wins. He's also got some weird losses. Uh, Paul Sass, I mean, his UFC debut was a loss in that season of The Ultimate Fighter when Jonathan Brookins beat him. You know, submitted by Reza Madadi. You know, he's got some losses that, like, okay, we all understand. You know, uh, Benil Dariush, he, I thought he won that fight. Uh, I scored it for him at least. You know, Khabib, Gagey, uh, Josh Emmett. Like some of those are some of those losses. Like, okay, I get it. Some of them. And he's got a losing UFC record, I think. Almost certainly, I, I don't have it. I'm not going to count it out on the air, but. Uh, again, when he's on. The man can beat just about anybody, but it's so inconsistent. Now, his time in the UFC might be coming to a close, too, off the back of this. Uh, a frustrating fight to watch. Alexandre Pantoja defeated Manel Kopp via unanimous decision, 229-28-130-27. Uh, 
Cops showed the ability to win this fight. He showed good technical skills, but he just didn't have the kind of output you need. I mean, Pantoja won this fight largely based on doing stuff. Even if it wasn't the most effective stuff, he was the one putting forth the effort. And then uh, in the third round, he spent the last chunk of it on Cop's back. So, But, uh, yeah. <sighs> I was looking forward to Cop's UFC debut. I've watched his stuff in Ryzen and some other promotions. He's a good fighter. He's a really good fighter. So a little bit frustrating to watch him underperform like that. Uh, your fight of the night... Benil Daryush defeated uh, Diego Fajaya via split decision. They were 29-28s. I do not understand what the judge was watching to give Fajaya two rounds. I was 30-27 Daryush. That said, the third round going to Fajaya is imminently understandable and might even be correct. As, uh, might even be the correct score as, as opposed to mine. But the first two I thought were pretty clearly Daryush. Uh, this was a great fight. This was action from start to finish, basically. These two kicked at distance. They slugged it out in close. They scrambled like madmen on the ground. Uh, phenomenal, phenomenal fight. Uh, again, only three rounds, which is a shame. Look, this these, and the Sandhagen and Edgar fight could have easily headlined their own fight nights. Uh, so Daryush is now back to six in a row again. Uh Give that man a top opponent next, for the for Pete's sake. I mean, talking lightweight. Um, I mean, I there's a there's several of these guys that we don't really know what's up with them right at the moment. I mean, Khabib's retired. So we got Poirier, Gaethje, Oliveira, Chandler, Ferguson. I mean, put him in against any of those guys. He was ranked what coming into this? This has him listed at 13. I thought he was listed higher than that. Uh, hmm. yeah, I thought he was higher than that last night on their, um, what they said he was. Um, hmm, that's odd. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, point being, he should fight someone near the top five. Uh, I mean, the worst, the lowest he should go next is someone like RDA at seven. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't do him in Chandler, which kind of sucks. Uh, you know, Oliveira's, the top four guys are going to fight each other in some capacity. But Daryush and Tony Ferguson, Daryush and RDA, anybody going to object to that? And that's the kind of fight he's due, I think. Now, that assumes that Tony's even sticking around at lightweight. Tony was chirping a little bit at Nate Diaz um, on social media. And if Tony moves up to welterweight, even if for a one-off against uh, Nate, I think Tony would carve him to pieces, by the way. <laughs> but I wouldn't object to it. Tony was on the wrong end of, in some cases, just straight booking decisions. In others... Just straight up bad luck. Uh, him getting a nice big payday against Nate, if they, if that's where everyone decides to go, I wouldn't begrudge that man one dime of that money. Not a, not one red cent of it. But give Darius someone at the top. 
I mean, he's he's earned that. You know, I think he mentioned on the post fight, his interview after the fight. You know, Fajaya having to fight down when he was number ten, a uh, little bit disrespectful of the Fajaya's win streak, which was at six. Uh, Darius had five coming into this. Now, of course, Darius at five. Uh, Darius will be at six in terms of his winning streak. Um, yeah, those guys should be fighting up. Uh, certainly when you're on those kinds of winning streaks, you shouldn't be fighting down. So give it, give him someone, you know, kind of near the top. As close to the top as you can reasonably get. Anyway, that was your fight of the night. Uh, current front runner for fight of the year. I know, uh, short list, right? And I think that's like that and one other fight currently on there for me, but... Uh, best three-rounder of the year, I think, pretty easily. Uh, kicking off the main card, Danilo Marquez defeated Mike Rodriguez via technical submission. Um, Rodriguez was a pretty hefty favorite, according to the odds. I was a little bit surprised by that. He's been real hit and miss in the UFC. Uh, pretty good stuff from Marquez here. Uh, it's, it's just lower-level light heavyweight. So it's really hard to get a bead on who might actually be somebody and who's not. Uh, but Marquez, I, I think he's 2-0 and in the UFC now, so maybe someone you know, at least kind of keep on your radar as far as that goes. Uh, that was the main card. As for the prelims, Devontae Smith defeated Justin James via doctor stoppage, 338 of the second. Uh, in the second, Smith just... Uh, he. Uh, he hit him with an elbow at one point, which I think started everything, but what's caused the swelling that stopped the fight was uh, Smith was kind of on Jane's back, and he was hitting him with these palm heel strikes, like, right to the eye. And just uh, hit something just right, <laughs> either to either exacerbate what was already there or cause it to begin with. Uh, he wound up disengaging from Jane's, made him stand up, and as soon as the ref got a look at that eye, like, okay, Doc, get in here. Uh, you know, Jane's left eye was completely swollen shut. Uh, no issues with the stoppage as far as that goes. Jane's was upset, uh, but if an eye is closed, you can't, you can't see, you can't fight. Uh, that's just kind of the way it is. Uh, Smith, again, might be someone to pay attention to at lightweight. He's still young, he's still coming up, and lightweight is, you know, the feeding ground of all feeding grounds, but just someone to maybe pay attention to a little bit. Um, Carol Hosa defeated Jocelyn Edwards via unanimous decision, 30-27 on all three scorecards. Uh, decent enough fight here. Uh, Edwards had moments on the feet, but couldn't reliably keep uh, Hosa off of her, and ultimately... And just succumb to uh, to positional losses, both in the clinch and on the ground. Uh, Hosa might be due a more notable fight next. She's now, I think, 3-0 and in the UFC. Double-check that. Either 2-0 and or 3-0. and Yeah, 3-0. and uh, Still no finishes, but... Let's see, women's bantamweight. I'd give her someone like, uh, you know... Penny, Kianzaj, Sejara, Eubanks, you know, that lower top 15. Let's see how she, say, how she would shake out there. Laura Precipio. I think that's how it was. Ah, I can never remember. Uh, I had a little mnemonic trick for this, but I can't. Uh, Procopio. That's it. It's Laura Procopio. 
Uh, like a cornucopia. That's how I do it. That was it. Laura Procopio defeated Molly McCandy unanimous decision. 29-27, 29-28, 30-27. just kept getting drowned in the grappling of Procopio. Uh, it's kind of as far as that went. Uh, Seung Woo Choi defeated Yusuf Zalalvi unanimous decision. A little bit surprising here. Zalal had had uh, a pretty solid 2020. He got outstruck by Ilya Teporia, but you kind of thought he'd rebound here, and Choi put paid to that. Uh, Choi beat him on the feet, beat him on the ground when they got there. Uh, really solid outing from Choi. Also at featherweight, Timur Valiev defeated Martin Davey, unanimous decision. 230-25s, 130-26. This was a total wipeout in favor of Valiev. Uh, Valiev, you know, who had the little bit of a stumble. It got turned to a no contest, so he's still unbeaten in his last, like, seven fights. But he had the stumble in his debut. He rebounded, looked sharp on the feet, was beating him there, but just had an overwhelming advantage once they got into the grappling. A lot of fence wrestling, a lot of positional advantages. Uh... Valiev's legit. I mean, we still have to see him against, uh, you know, increasing levels of opposition as far as that goes. But, uh, yeah, dude's legit. Pay attention to him. And kicking everything off, Ode Osborne knocked out Jerome Rivera 26 seconds of the first round. Uh, yeah, Rivera threw a left kick, kind of tried to be high, but it got hung up uh, kind of between the shoulder and the elbow as Osborne kind of shoulder-rolled. Osborne did this really neat little trick. He kind of shelved up his elbow, so it was tight to his ribs when he shoulder-rolled. He was fighting Southpaw. He took it on the right arm. Then as he comes back, he kind of brings it up at a 90-degree angle to create a shelf that kept Rivera's legs suspended in midair on it so he couldn't move and reset, which left a really nice straight punching lane for Osborne's left hand, and he cracked it, dropped Rivera, and... That was basically all she wrote. So, that was the event. Uh, you had some good fights there. Top two fights, both really good. Dariush and Faheya, uh, great fight. Go out of your way to find that one. That was worth every minute of that fight. Uh, yeah, it was a really solid night of fights. I was thoroughly, I shouldn't say thoroughly entertained. I was not bored for the vast majority of it. So, I'll, I'll take that these days. I really will. Uh, all right, moving on. UFC 258. Main card, main event. Um, all right, I'm going to say this, and I'm not trying to piss anybody off here, but this card does not have a lot of, uh, not a lot of value here in terms of your money. Um... They tried, this is one of the things from last week, the UFC tried to add uh, Charles Oliveira and Michael Chandler to this card. Um, those two should not be fighting each other on like two weeks notice. There's no reason for that. There's no reason for either of them to accept the fight on those conditions. None. Straight up none. Uh, I don't blame either of them for turning it down. You want those two to fight, I don't object to that fight, but give them a proper camp. Don't have some, you know, mid-level uh, actuary in the in the, uh, in the the bureaucracy of the promotion. Look at this card and go, huh, we need value. How about we throw two top lightweights on there two and a half weeks out from the event? Uh-uh. It would have been a huge disservice to both of those men 
Uh, shame on the UFC for even... Uh, I shouldn't say completely shame on them. They're trying to add value to the card. I get it, but... Uh, you should have thought about that beforehand, man. You should have planned that out a lot better. Um, that said, the main event is a really, really good fight on paper. Now, it might not be... Eh, it might not wind up being the most compelling fight in terms of the action once they get into the cage... But this is absolutely, unequivocally, the fight to make in this particular weight class. Kamaru Usman, welterweight champion, defending his belt against Gilbert Burns. These two were supposed to fight, uh, what was it, UFC 251? Yeah, 251. Burns had to pull out with a COVID issue. Masvidal stepped in on a you know, couple of days' notice. Uh, uh, Usman retained. They've... They tried to have this recently. Uh, they tried to have this at 256. But Usman was still kind of recovering from some nagging injuries and whatnot. They bumped it to this one. Here we are. Uh, this is a, again, on paper, this is a competitive fight in most areas. Um, Kamaru Usman's greatest strength, I think, is that he can force the fight to take place in an area where he is better. Whatever that happens to be. Uh, when he fought Damian Maya, it was, I'm going to make this fight be on the feet. A little bit the same for uh, the Colby Covington fight. I don't know why I blanked on his name for a minute there. Uh, in both instances, for different reasons, uh, either because Damian Maya's jiu-jitsu was just enough of a problem that he didn't want to deal with it, or in most of the wrestling exchanges against Covington, because again, they're kind of... They have very different approaches and different styles when you kind of get into the nuances of it, but uh, it just wasn't an area he really wanted to spend a lot of time in. Uh, so, force him to strike at distance, where he is not great, but certainly capable. Against someone who's a better striker than he is, uh, force it into the clinch, force it onto the mat. If he's fighting someone who is, uh, again, maybe a better pure scrambler on the mat, he can force the fight to be in the clinch. If he's fighting someone who's got who's a really good clinch fighter, he can use the clinch to uh, set up his takedowns instead of an end unto itself. Both He's comfortable fighting both of those, either on the, using the clinch to get takedowns or using the clinch to hold you in place and beat the crap out of you, and shifting between those two as necessary. And if he's not comfortable in either of those spaces, he will strike with you. Again, is he a great striker? Not not uh, he hasn't demonstrated that to this point is maybe the best way to say that but he is certainly capable and that again that kind of dynamic allows him to find where find some aspect of the fight game be that fighting at distance fighting in close fighting in the clinch fighting on the ground somewhere he's going to find an aspect of the sport where he is the better fighter, and he is going to then do everything he can to force the fight to be contested in that space where he is winning. And that is a hard, hard, hard thing to beat. The way Burns matches up with him then becomes incredibly intriguing, because Burns, not exactly the same, but he certainly has on paper a lot of, uh, a lot of questions and a lot of skills to challenge Usman in all of those distances and disciplines. Uh, if we're talking about just on the feet, it's not that Kamaru Usman doesn't have power, 
But I think if you compare him and Gilbert Burns, uh, which of them hits harder, I think it's Burns. They've fought the same guys a few different times. They both fought Damian Maya. Kamar Usman went the distance with him. Burns knocked him out in the first round. Now, there was some time between those, so in fairness to Usman not getting a finish, uh, relative to Burns getting one. Uh, Maya's chin is degraded since then, but uh, it's it still noted. If you watch the Tyron Woodley fights, uh, for both of them, does Usman, you know, land on Woodley and rattle him a little bit? Yeah. Which of these two, when they landed, hurt Tyron more? I'm pretty sure that's Gilbert Burns. Now again, could Usman knock Burns out? Sure. Wouldn't shock me at all. But I think Gilbert Burns probably hits a little bit harder and has worked diligently on his striking. Both men are not afraid to kick, but Usman's got some skinny legs. If he's on the wrong end of some nasty calf kicks, I'd wonder what kind of impact that might have on him. Again, maybe none, but I think it's an open question. Gilbert Burns can fight in the clinch. He fought Tyron Woodley there for big portions of their fight and beat him pretty comprehensively. On the ground, there's not a lot of guys in the, uh, in the division or in all of the UFC that can match Burns' jiu-jitsu credentials. To say nothing of his implementation of jiu-jitsu in an MMA context. He's very, very good at that. So, wherever Usman chooses to fight this fight, Burns is going to have problems for him to deal with. Now, insurmountable problems, that certainly remains to be seen. But there's, you know, if you looked at Usman and Masvidal, I mean, especially on short notice, not to insult Masvidal at all, Usman's the better wrestler. And whether that's fence wrestling or wrestling on the mat, he's, he could pretty reliably force the fight there. That made sense on paper, especially on short notice. That's kind of what played out. Uh, there's, there's just It's just a lot less clarity around that when it comes to Usman and Burns. Can Usman take Gilbert Burns down? Sure. Uh, Usman, can, Usman has taken down everybody thus far, I think, maybe except Covington. Uh, that would be the only one that I would have to double-check. Everyone else, yeah, he took him down. A lot, someday, frequently, more than once. <laughs> again, maybe the Maya fight as well, but... Uh, again, can he take Gilbert Burns down? I would... If he wants to, yes. He's that good a wrestler. How does Burns' guard play up against Usman's top game? You know, if Usman decide... I think the biggest differential in terms of skill... <laughs> believe it or not, is the pure jiu-jitsu in favor of Burns. Uh, now, it's entirely possible that Usman gets takedowns into decent top position and then just doesn't try to play the jiu-jitsu game, but just focuses on maintaining an advantageous position, sneaking in damage, and is able to kind of win enough rounds over the course of the fight to win. Wouldn't surprise me. But you... You, again, you play in the guard of Gilbert Burns at your peril. You've got to get out of that thing pretty quickly. Uh, and it, and that said, taking Gilbert Burns down is not exactly an easy proposition. To say nothing of the trouble you could find yourself in when you get there. Burns is not opposed to taking you down. Now, taking Kamaru Usman down has proven to be an incredibly difficult task thus far. Not impossible. Uh, no one's impossible to take down, but Usman is very, very difficult. Uh, so we might see Burns try that avenue. Uh, there's, I still, for whatever value you want to give my pick, 
I favor Usman. Uh, I, I'm going to need a real clear reason to, to favor someone else over him. But Gilbert Burns is certainly a qualified enough fighter, a good enough fighter at all the various disciplines, at all the various distances, that he's going... To, I think he's going to cause Usman problems, and I will not be surprised if he wins. I don't even think there's a way he could win that would surprise me. He could stop Usman with punches... He could submit him, or he could win a decision. I can see all of those fairly clearly. So, not going to be surprised if Usman wins, or if Burns wins. But Usman thus far has proven himself to be an incredibly, incredibly difficult puzzle to solve. And I, I do favor him. I favor him over the division, quite frankly. Uh, anyway, that is your main event. I'm going to go kind of quickly through the rest of these. Uh... Because again, there's not a whole lot. Uh, there's not a whole lot extra here. Because I mean, if you want to know how quickly this drops off, your co-main event is Macy Barber and Alexa Grasso. I don't have anything against either of those ladies, but co-main event to a pay-per-view, uh, not so much. Barber coming off of that loss to Roxanne Modafferi uh, in January of 2020, so a little over a year. I uh, yeah, she she injured her knee. Uh, in that fight. Uh, Poor Roxanne Modafferi, man. She pissed off the UFC when she beat Macy Barber. They they have been booking her in bad positions ever since. In terms of both stylistic matchups and positions on cards. Uh, you know, you break the UFC's new toys at your own peril in that respect, I guess. Uh, but she's coming back. She's still, you know, there's still a fair... This is a favorable matchup for her in some respects because Alexa Grasso is not a takedown threat. Uh, Grasso coming off of a... She, her, her flyweight debut was successful when she beat Ji-Yun Kim. Uh, Grasso's a very technical fighter. She's actually more technical than Barber, I think, but Barber uh, has a little bit more of the dog in her and is probably hits harder. So I anticipate a mostly striking-based affair until one of them realizes they're not having their way and then they might try to force things down. You know, people talk all the time about, well, their wrestling cancels its, cancels its, each other out so we get sloppy striking affairs, which is an observed and documented phenomena. The reverse is true as well, believe it or not. And again, we just don't talk about it a whole lot. Uh... And what we get, you get two strikers. Their striking kind of cancels each other out in the sense that we either get a really boring fight, or we get, or we get a forced uh, series of grappling exchanges. Uh, don't know that we'll get either of those here, but it is something to pay attention to, I think. Uh, as far as picks, I kind of want to favor Grasso. The Grasso has demonstrated ability. But she just has struggled to really hit that next gear, you know? I hate say, I hate people saying, oh, we're going to try to take it to the next level. It's such a, like, catch-all phrase. Uh, but in Grasso's case, you know, demonstrated ability, but hitting that next level, uh, that's been a bit of a difficulty for her. So we'll see how that goes. I kind of favor Barber little bit, but very, very competitive fight, uh, as far as I can tell on paper. Let's see, Kelvin Gastelum and Ian Heinish. 
It's not a bad fight. I'm not really excited for it, but it's not bad. Gastelum on a three-fight losing streak. Um, yeah, he's in a rough spot. I mean, the loss to Adesanya, you know, fine. Adesanya is the best middleweight in the world. Uh, lost to Darren Till. A little surprised by that split, but... Uh, then submitted by Jack Hermanson in a minute and 18 seconds uh, via heel hook. He's in a rough spot. Uh, that fight with Adesanya might have taken more out of him than we realized. Uh, whereas Heinish, uh, he stopped Mershart in June of last year, but he's been quiet ever since. Um, again, the best version of Kelvin Gastelum is a top-tier, elite-level fighter. But he has not been able to find the best version of himself consistently enough. Um... <laughs> I'm still going to favor Gastelum here, but uh, with his slide, man, he's kind of in do-or-die's territory. Uh, Bantamweight, Pedro Munoz and Jimmy Rivera. Yes. Uh, great fight. Rivera, unfortunately, just barely broke a two-fight losing streak. He's still only two and three in his last five. I mean, to be fair to Jimmy Rivera, those losses are... He had the head kick loss to Marlon Moraes. Beat John Dodson, then lost to Aljamain Sterling and Peter Yan. So you lost to the top two guys and a guy on his way to a title shot back in 2018 in Marais. I'm not going to hold that too much against you. You know, uh, nobody in the UFC has beat Peter Yan, and Sterling hasn't lost since Marais in 2017. Again, I'm, I'm just not going to be that I'm not going. I'm going to keep those in mind as you know important losses, but I'm not going to hold those against you too much. Uh, that's that's a tough string of fights, man. You know, Marais, Dodson, Sterling, and Jan. That again, that's a meat grinder of a schedule. I don't know too many people that wouldn't have come out with that with not only that exact same record, but maybe worse if they lose to Dodson as well. And Munoz coming off of that uh, split decision loss to Frankie Edgar. I thought he won that fight. Uh, I scored it for him, at least. Before that, he lost pretty clearly to Aljamain Sterling, so he's in a bit of a need for a win. Could be a really good fight here. I'm going to lean Munoz. I shouldn't, though. I mean, I, l I don't have anything against Munoz, but... Yeah, you know what? No, I'm going to lean Rivera. I'm going to lean Jimmy Rivera, but... Close fight, good fight. Uh, that's the... After the main event, that's the best fight on this card. Uh, those two. And kicking off the main card, middleweight fight between Maki Patolo and Julian Marquez. Uh, with, Juli with the luck of Julian Marquez, this fight will fall out in the next couple of days. That poor guy. Um, man. Patolo, I mean, th they're trying to just set up a fun brawl here. Um, Patolo's UFC record is 1-3. Uh, I mean, the man's got hands. He's willing to throw down. That'll endear you to the UFC. I'm, I'm actually going to lean Marquez here, but that layoff is legit. Anyway, that's your main card. And two, at least, good fights. Uh, Barber and Grosso, not bad. 
Heinish and Gastelum, not bad. Patolo and Marquez, we might get something crazy out of that. But your your value fights, as far as your money goes, it's the main event, and then it's Munoz and Rivera. Uh, as for the prelims, Bobby Green versus Jim Miller. Sentimentally, I favor Miller, but... And Miller's just in a rough spot, you know? He's actually not done that badly recently. Uh, three and two in his last five. Uh, where's Green? Green just had a, uh, just lost a pretty good win. Lost a, his three-fight winning streak when he fought Thiago Moises. I should favor Bobby Green, but I'm going to favor Miller because sentimentality. Yell at me if you want. Uh, middleweight fight, Adolfo Vieja and Anthony Hernandez. Hernandez has not had a great time in the UFC. And... While Vieja, does he prefer Vieira? I can't remember. I know he's Brazilian, so you'd think Vieja, but some of the some of them have weird uh, kind of uh, preferred pronunciations. I don't have a problem favoring Vieja here. Uh, I think he'll get Hernandez down, and then that's a bad place to be, man. Being on the ground with Adolfo Vieja, bad place. Uh, welterweight Bilal Muhammad and Diego Lima. Diego Lima's actually kind of... He's kind of found himself a little bit over his last three fights. Uh, whereas Muhammad... I mean, Muhammad's just a tough out. I mean, that guy's only losses in the UFC to Alan Joban, Vicente Luque, and Jeff Neal. So I should... Yeah, I'll favor Muhammad. I mean, I won't be shocked if Lima pulls that off, but Muhammad is, again, just a tough out. Uh, women's strawweight, Pollyanna Viana and Mallory Martin. Martin's gone one and one. Uh, Viana's been a little bit up and down. Now she's barely, sorry. Yeah, she's two and three, had a, has a three-fight losing streak, and uh, kind of sandwiched between her uh, successful debut and then most recently successful fight. Probably Martin. Uh, then our early prelims, Ricky Simone and Brian Kelleher. It's a solid fight. Um, probably favor Simone there. Uh, Gabriel Green and Philip Rowe. I don't know enough about either gentleman. Favor Rowe, because why not? And kicking everything off, women's flyweight, Jillian Robertson and Miranda Maverick. Maverick had a pretty solid debut when she beat uh, Liana Jojua. Let's see, Robertson... Lost to Tyler Santos. I don't mind picking Maverick here, but again, Robertson is not an easy fight. Not an easy fight by any stretch of the imagination. So, that's UFC 258. I will have coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. You can also go there to find my full report for UFC and ESPN Plus 42. Uh, appreciate all that. And let's see. I think the only thing I kind of wanted to touch on here... Uh, excuse me. Uh, the UFC's going through some roster cuts at the moment. They've released about a dozen guys. Um, most of these don't surprise me at all. Um, Carlton Minus, Peter Barrett, Anthony Ivey, Jacob Kilburn, Sarah Morris, Vinicius Morea, uh, Cole Williams, Reese McKee, Vanessa Mello. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, they're all guys with people with losing UFC records. In some cases, they are completely absent wins in the UFC. I mean, Vinicius Maia was 0-4. Uh, the two kind of surprising ones, one was Spike Carlisle, who's 1-2. A little bit surprising because the man is, and I don't mean this as an insult, he was a television fighter. You put that guy on a screen, he was going to deliver something worth watching. So a little bit surprised there. Uh, the other one, and kind of the big one, was Antonio Carlos Jr., uh, Shoe Face. Uh, and his, uh, his UFC, he lost three in a row, which has been, which kind of is what prompted this, but he has some pretty significant wins in the UFC. Uh, he's the one that's most surprising, probably the one most likely, him and Carlisle would be the two most likely, I think, to get back. Uh, into the into the promotion at some point in the future, so we'll uh, keep an eye on that. But yeah, they've been meant. The UFC's been saying that they've had roster cuts coming for a while, and yeah, their roster just did get bloated. I mean, it sucks for some of these guys, but if you don't win, uh, especially your first couple of fights, you know, if you're 0-2, 3 or you know, losing record like three and six. Uh, which is what Sarah Morris was at, and then I think was on like a three-fight losing streak. Uh, it, again, it's rough, but the fight game is that. It's rough. So, uh, yeah, that's probably a few more coming, you know. Uh, there's probably some more cuts coming. Some of them are going to be tough. That's there's not a whole lot else to uh, <laughs> to kind of bring out there. Um, I think that's about it, actually. Let's see. Um, yeah, okay. Loosely related to UFC 258. Um, I, there was supposed to be a fight between uh, Chris Weidman and Uriah Hall. Uh, that got booted after Weidman had a COVID issue. Uh, yeah, I mean, 258's had some real... They better hope nothing happens to that main event. I mean, I don't mean to kind of backtrack to this, but if if something happens to Usman or Burns, um, that card's in trouble. That card would be in real trouble if something happened to one of those two guys. Uh, serious trouble. Oh, man. Let me check Twitter real fast. See. I mean, I'm doing this in the wake of the Super Bowl, so... I don't think like any I don't think there's too much crazy that's come out. Uh MMA related recently. Yeah, I think that's going to be about it. All right. So, let's go ahead and get into plugs here and then we'll get out of this one. Uh again, UFC 2 58 this coming Saturday, so please stop by and check out my live coverage in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. Full report on last week's event is up now if you want to read it. There's you know, some of the official videos released by the UFC of some of the finishes if you want to look if you want to look at them there. I try to include those whenever possible. And I've been trying very hard to make sure that the sources I use are not geolocked. Uh, sometimes they are. I apologize for that, but uh, there's a finite amount of control I have over that stuff. Um, you can find me most... You can find me Fridays in the Wrestling Zone covering WWE SmackDown. Uh, 
there anything coming out? Um, this last, I think it was this last week, I got together with Mark Radlich on Damn You Hollywood, uh, and we talked about the Netflix exclusive film Outside the Wire, which I pretty roundly bagged on. I, I did not care. Did not care for the majority of that movie. Um, I've got some uh, alternative boxing commentaries with Mark up. One for a crappy heavyweight fight that no one cares about. One for the fight between Caleb Plant and Caleb Truex. Uh, coming up... Uh, yeah, later this week, there will be a TV party for Disenchantment Part 3. And then next week on the 11th will be... Uh, damn you, Hollywood, for the Netflix movie Space Sweepers, which came out very recently. Uh, let's see. I think that's the only stuff in the immediate future. Oh, uh, yeah, the other stuff we'll, we can talk about next time. You don't care too much about my... about what's going on, so please, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can find our stuff there. We're part of the W2M Network. That's W, letter 2, M. Uh, you can find the Rydalich and Broadcasting Network Facebook page to help stay up to date on all that stuff, so please do that. Yeah, that's it for me. Thank you all very, very much as usual. I'm Robert Winfrey, reminding you all to stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>